Be seated, please. I think it's kind of building up to Christmas, you know. I mean, the the music today, a little extra music, so nice. Yeah. I'll have a poem for you. I hope I do. <laughs> Me. Yes, I do. It's called In Dark December. It's not really as dark a poem as that uh, title might say. Just remember that. It's by uh, the poet Ralph Murray. M-U-R-E-E. Murray. I don't know. I guess that's how he says it. In Dark December. goes like this. Whatever you believe, whatever you do not... There are sacred rites you must perform in dark December. Do this for me. Pull together the kitchen table, the folding table, and that old odd half oval, usually covered with bills and broken pencils and red ink. Pull together family and friends, cool cats and stray dogs alike. Turn off everything except colored lights, the roaster, the toaster, and the stove. Cook, bake, eat. Yes, even the fruitcake. <laughs> eat, crowded around those assembled tables with mismatched chairs. Reach so far in your sharing that you hold the sun in one hand and the stars in the other and no one in between is hungry. Now walk together, talk together, be together on these darkest nights. Give and forgive, light candles and ring bells, sing old songs, tell the old stories one more time, leaving nothing out, leaving no one out. Another sweet poem. Dark December. <laughs> so this is the Advent Sunday of joy. And joy is on the way. You know, Christmas season has many emotions attached to it. Uh, some of you may realize that more than others. But events that happen around Christmas kind of get, stick with us sometimes. Perhaps someone you love has passed away or something like that, and it happened on Christmas Eve or whatever. So sad. It was close to happening to me when my father died. And it tends to hang on, get attached to Christmas. And joyous things happen on Christmas, too, of course. Babies are born on Christmas. Is anybody here born on Christmas Day? Somebody told me in this congregation that they were, but I can't remember who it was. Jesus, that was him. That was him, he told me. <laughs> Way to go. 
<laughs> and Jesus is here, right? Absolutely. And it's also the Advent Sunday in many uh, congregations' traditions, tra- the tradition of the church widely held on to, that it's the Sunday of joy and it's the Sunday that we celebrate Mary, mother of Jesus. Courageous Mary, we celebrate without hesitation and with joy and pride. She embraces the challenge that that angel brought to her. Guess what, Mary? Okay. And she responds in this way. Here's just a, just a part of the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In the Magnificat, if you know that, uh, that wonderful canticle goes on from there. Often set the music. Uh, maybe next week we'd do that. I don't know. And I think that we need to see better. We need to see better the women that have been a great part of the Holy Scripture. You know, even in the a world that wants to diminish their role in Holy Scripture, they still come through. They still come through. Mary's mother, Saint Anne, she was, uh, as I think the Scripture says, something like advanced in years, gave birth. The controversial Mary Magdalene, a disciple, perhaps, I think, an apostle, perhaps, surely. And then there's Mary and Martha. You know the Mary-Martha story? It lives, it gets told so many times, so many times. I've been told that there's some, someone here who can tell the story of the woman at the well. You know that one? I think her name is Barrington or something. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can get in touch with her. Maybe she would come and tell us that story someday. <laughs> if you know her well. Mary and Martha were, you know, brothers, were sisters of Lazarus, raised from the dead. And there's Ruth in that beautiful story, biblical story, the the faithful Moabite woman who says, rather than being left behind, she says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And there's Sarah, barren of child and married to Abraham, according to St. Paul, Abraham, St. Paul puts it rather straightforward, Abraham was as good as dead. (laughs) 
They were old. And they, the angel comes and says, uh, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And, and she did. So, kind of a foretaste for what, what Mary was in for. Rebecca and Rachel, all the faithful women of the Old Testament world, and so many more. I know I've left out some, probably your favorite one. So many. We need to remember. And we had a, in uh, our uh, Wednesday night Advent dinner, the first one we had, uh, Jude brought some some slides where we played uh it's kind of a what if game, what if game, what if this, what if that. And one of the questions was, what if Jesus was, had been a woman? And everybody kind of scratched their heads about that. And they thought, well, that would have been really cool, you know, if, 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 if it had been a woman instead of a, and we, we would be here talking uh, in great faith about the woman Jesus. But the reality was, somebody pointed out, no, it wouldn't have been so good. Not in that day. Maybe today, but not in that day. Because woman, women just didn't count. It would have been very difficult for him, her. Yeah. We're talking about it today, and somebody said, well, she probably would have been killed. Well, that's all kind of sad. But Mary is no doubt the hero of the seasonal stories. It's kind of a family fair affair in, in a way. And I, I got interested in, in the genealogy and how that all came together. And here's what I, I read. Um, I just love Wikipedia. I, I have no idea if they're always right, but here it is. Mary is the daughter of Anne, St. Anne, and, and, and Jesus' grandmother was St. Anne. And Elizabeth, mother of John the Baptist, was descendant of the daughters of Aaron, making her in that lineage Mary's maternal aunt. So I don't know. It was like a family thing that was going on here. It was really cool. So maybe we would be better, rather than ponder all those kind of things, see Mary as a um, mythological figure. Maybe this whole story is a myth in a way, or better understood as a myth. I don't know. The adult formation small group we have going on meets in the library, uh, between services, 9.15, be there or be square, but don't be there next week because we won't be. But, but it's been a lot of fun. Anyhow, I digress. I'm sorry. So we were talking about uh, mythological... Joseph Campbell, who, many of you might know of Joseph Campbell in his famous uh, uh, series uh, uh, about mythology, The Power of Myth. It's wonderful, and we were watching some of that. Makes him think of it. The great priest, currently great priest, Richard Rohr, told me when I was in his presence once, he said, 
It's all a myth. That's something to think about. But definitely Mary is the iconic mother archetype. The great and beautiful icon of compassion. Her grief becomes our grief. Her joy becomes our joy. For many, Mary is the feminine feminine image of the mother of God to whom we pray. I think our religious tradition at times longs for the feminine God. Might have been difficult for Jesus to have been a woman, but for me it's not difficult at all for God to be a woman. Or a man. Or whatever. So we pray to Mary so often in our church. I think the Roman church even more so than we do. So I was, I was caught, I, I remembered a beautiful, beautiful piece of music that was written by Eliza Gilkinson. Some of you may know of Eliza Gilkinson. And she wrote this beautiful piece of music entitled Requiem. In, in, in uh, Christmas, day after Christmas in 2004, a tsunami occurred in, in uh, Indonesia. Some of you may remember that. How could we forget? Over a quarter of a million people died in that. And Eliza Gilkinson wrote that piece of music in memory of that uh, horrible happening. And she wrote it as a prayer to Mary. And that piece of music is now, uh, I mean, she sings it with her guitar, that piece of music has now been set to music for large choruses, beautiful, beautiful choral performance of Eliza Gilkinson's Requiem. You can find it on the, on the YouTube. So here's how it starts, just the first verse of it. Mother Mary, full of grace, awaken, all our homes are gone, our loved ones taken by the sea. Mother Mary, calm our fears, have mercy, drowning in a sea of tears, have mercy, hear our mournful plea. Our world has been shaken, we wander, our homelands forsaken. You know, this is a t- kind of a begins one of those times of the year we, we, we tend to want, we tend to ask questions about the stories we hear. Certainly, we have a lot of questions about virgin birth. It just doesn't seem likely. We have questions about it. And we have other questions as our years go by. Certainly, Easter is another time when we ask questions. So we see, in this season, we ask questions about Christmas and 
Here's one that I, I just love. Bless you. <laughs> Questions like this were asked when in 1897, a young girl named Virginia O'Hanlon. Who knows who Virginia O'Hanlon was? You do, right? Somebody back here? No? Yeah. All right. You want to tell them or you want me to? <laughs> She wrote a letter. She wrote a letter to the New York Sun asking, Dear Editor, I'm quoting, I am eight years old. Some of my little friends say there is no Santa Claus. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, it is so. So please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Oh, my God. And so this... Veteran newsman of the Sun, name is Francis Church, turned out a 500-word reply. I have it right here. You want me to read it? <laughs> yeah. It's printed on uh, September 21st, 1897, on page 6 of, of the paper with no byline. So I'll read you the last paragraph. Ah, Virginia. In all the world, there is nothing else real and abiding. No Santa Claus? Thank God. He lives. He lives forever. A thousand years from now, nay, 10,000 times 10,000 years from now, he will continue to make glad the heart of childhood. That's sweet. Here's a little more complicated one about questions. A little more complicated. This is from Lewis Carroll, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. One can't believe impossible things, Alice said to the queen. I dare say you haven't had much practice, says the queen. When I was your ways, your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible questions before breakfast. I think when our ancient stories are examined with our intellect, with our questions, desire, desire to know what's happening, we're missing it. We're missing the whole point. When our ancient stories are examined with our intellect, we have questions, creates questions, and we have doubts. It creates doubts. But when examined with our heart, we understand. Because our heart does not usually have questions. Our heart usually knows the answers. So until next week, I'll leave that with you and say, Amen. <laughs>